You do sound great this morning, even though we're small, we're mighty this morning. I love it. I love it. It sounds fantastic. And it's so nice to be back. I took a week off for a vacation for an anniversary, and then I was sick, and then last week I just was still a little out of sorts, but I got to come down yesterday, and just I love being in Golden Beach. Just love it. It is so good for me to to be a part of this, so I thank you for that opportunity. So, And perhaps we lost a little bit of our focus on the true reason for the season if we find ourselves maybe breathing a sigh of relief that it's December 29th. I mean, I'm guilty of it. And it's easy to do, isn't it? You know, with best intentions, we, we rush around, we buy and we give presents, we attend parties and get-togethers, maybe even host family and friends at our homes, and, and we may even donated some time and gifts and money to help others. And and the last one of these activities, you know, we check out the calendar and then we just kind of plop down the chair and go, whew, we did it. You know, we, we survived Christmas. You know, Sherry and I were doing exactly that. So yesterday we're cleaning up the dishes from our last family event, which was yesterday morning. And, and we started to take down Christmas. You know, I, I don't know what else to say. You know, you just undo the decorations and doing that around the house. And it felt a little rushed to me since, you know, it's not even New Year's yet. And, and here we are putting stuff in the boxes. But I dropped by Walmart to pick up some cough syrup. And I saw that they were actually getting ready for Valentine's Day. So I'm already behind schedule. All right, they're already fully stocked for Valentine's Day. And uh, that has created this new anxiety in me because I finally thought of something good to get shared for Christmas, and now I've got to think about Valentine's Day already. So, guys, if you've got advice, just shout it out. But, and I say that half-jokingly, but there's some truth in it. You know, society pushes us towards the next big thing. You know, Thanksgiving's done, Christmas, you know, maybe a, a hiccup for New Year's and Valentine's Day and, and all that. And, and, um, and I thank God literally, I thank Him that we can decide for ourselves how long we can celebrate Christmas. As in, how long we can be thankful for the wonderful gift that is Jesus Christ our Savior. And now we can carefully wrap the nativity pieces in newspaper and put them in the tote and put them back in the garage for, you know, for uh, nine, ten months. But we can also choose to cherish that scene in our heart throughout the year. Right? So for me, I try to consider Christmas as a beginning. And, and that's really what it is. But it's the beginning of a period of time that lasted around 30 years when Jesus, who was the embodiment of God, lived a life on this planet. He faced the same trials and temptations and joys and experiences that we all have an opportunity to experience. And it was a period that ended after just a few years of teaching and leading, but those few years changed the world forever. For him, this chapter, we'll call it, of his life ended at Easter, and he went on to a next chapter that continues today. But for us, that is when the true power of Christmas was made real. Because without the gift of the resurrection, Easter or Christmas was just another birthday, right? So it was when his life ended on Easter that the true power of Christmas became real. And we aren't even Easter yet. So it's Christmas is far from over. So I prefer to take the period between Christmas and Easter and really focus on Jesus' life. What he came to do, how he did it, and how we are saved because of this. And, and I want to encourage you to experience these Sunday morning messages with us as as well as the corresponding Bible studies going forward, because we're going to take up our cross daily, as we're told to do in Scripture. And we're going to walk alongside Jesus to the point where he received his cross. And again, if you aren't able to join us on a Sunday morning, remember the messages are available on podcasts. And I even send out a midweek verse or, or thought on Twitter sometimes. But it's December 29th, 2019. That's today. We're just a few days away from a new year and a new decade. And I was kind of thinking about this. You know, there's... 
there's decades that define things, you know, the 40s, the 50s, the 60s, 70s, 80s, and it seems like somewhere after the maybe the 90s, I don't know, I, I can't think of another decade of good music or hair or fashion or movies like, like then, you know, some of those things. But I'm curious to see what God does in 2020, and I'm very excited about it. This will be the 40th year of this congregation. 2020 will be. Very exciting. Something to be very excited about. But how many of us have made New Year's resolutions in the past, right? I have. I see some nodding. Yeah, I won't make you say them, but I've even kept a few for a couple, for a little while anyway. But So why do we think that that is the best or the only time to make a change at this new year? And that's what it is, right? No one makes a resolution to stay the same. So what is it that says now is the time for something different? Anybody? Any thoughts? I'll call your name. You will be on tape. Why is it? New year, returning a calendar, this time it's an excuse for something fresh, right? Maybe that's it. Everybody else is doing it. Everybody else is doing it? Sure. There's good peer pressure. Yeah. Well, I entitled this message, <coughs> Incited to Change. And that's a little bit of an unusual use of the word, incited. And perhaps you thought I meant excited to change. But let's be honest. Is anyone really excited to change? I mean, maybe if you're looking forward to something, but generally, just the thought of change alone creates some sort of stress for us. Incited to change. Maybe you thought I meant inspired to change. Now, that feels good. That's positive and encouraging. I'm inspired to change. And if we were really excited about change, we might say something like, I really want to do this. I really can't wait for next year to be different. And there's some truth to that, too. And I think that statement fits well with this morning's message. But I still believe there's a reluctance on our part And that being the case, surely inspired to change is appropriate. But again, yes, motivated by encouragement or desiring to be like someone else in a certain way may inspire you to make a change. I want to be more like Jesus. I want to, I want to have this, or I want to accomplish this, or I want to eat better or lose weight or give up this habit. Okay, that's inspiring. But when we look at the deep-seated things that we need to change about ourselves, they're neither exciting or inspiring. In fact, some of them are they're things we like to kind of keep down. In fact, some of the most personal things we need to change may only be known by God and maybe even to a lesser degree us because maybe we haven't figured out all the stuff that we need to be doing a little differently, a little better. So it takes a forceful drive from within to make the change, to, to overcome a mindset, a habit, or even a sinful nature. And it's real easy to think of these things like, I need to eat better, or I need to stop you know, this or that, but sometimes it's a mindset that's unhealthy. You know, Do you hold on to a little bit of fear? A little bit of resentment. I mean, we all do this at times. A little bit of, of hurt. You know, these are mindsets that we can change. These are the deep-seated stuff that honestly is a little harder. This morning, I want to give you a few assurances, and we'll dig into these in a moment, okay? First, just because this is a very personal process and the driving force comes from within doesn't mean you have to do this by yourself. Second, you don't have to guess what needs to be changed. You're married, they'll tell you. No, I, I made that up. Um, third, the goal is known and unchanging. Okay. Fourth, this is 100% doable. I don't even know if that's a word, but you can do this. Okay, 100% guaranteed that you can make these changes. Fifth, everyone else will be or should be doing the same thing, at least in the context of their own changes. And sixth, the other side of this process, it's amazing. Okay. I haven't been there yet myself, but I have it on good authority that when you make some changes in your life and get you in alignment with God, it's amazing. 
So let's like, take a look at these six points, what the Bible says. So first, just because this is a very personal process and the driving force comes from within doesn't mean you have to do this by yourself. Now I'm going to go all the way back to Deuteronomy in the Old Testament. And it says, be strong and courageous. Be strong, be courageous. Do not be afraid or terrified, for the Lord your God goes with you. He will never leave you nor forsake you. Okay, that's a promise. Then we skip ahead to Philippians. For I am sure this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to the completion of the day of Jesus Christ. And this really speaks to this message topic. God is doing a good, deep work within you. Let him. And let him continue it to completion. That completion may be today, it may be years from now, it may not be in the life as you know it today. God is doing a good, deep work in you, okay? And these, both these verses, one's Old Testament and one's New, tell you one thing, and that is God is with you. And not only is he with you, he is helping you. The psalmist writes this in Psalm 51.10, he says, Create in me a clean heart. He's saying, help me. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. And that's exactly what he does. He cleans, he renews. Don't these sound like a good way to start a new year? Cleaned and renewed, refreshed. Second, you don't have to guess what needs to be changed. This isn't just a matter of do better or try harder or I'll let you know when you got it right. The Bible, which is our owner's manual for life, right? This is what tells us how to live, okay? And it spells out very clearly. It says in Psalms, your word is a lamp to guide me and a light for my path. Your word, the Bible. God's word put into print has given us 10 commandments. He says, these 10 things that you should not do or you should do. And not only did Jesus reiterate these later in his life in the Sermon on the Mount, he said, you've heard it said, and he repeats it. But he, he had this exchange with one of the disciples in Matthew twenty two thirty six. 36. It says, teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? Which is the greatest of these? And Jesus replied, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. And it goes on to say, all of the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. Isn't that right? If you can master that, and that's a tough one, don't the other things just get so much easier because you love others? Why would you want to lie to them? Why would you want to kill them? Why would you want to covet them? You want good for them. And you love yourself. Love your neighbor as yourself. Don't forget to love yourself. Proverbs 6, 16 through 19 says this. There are six things that the Lord hates. Now, this is another one of God's own words, okay? So hopefully these aren't things that we deal with, but listen to them. These are things that God hates. Seven that are abomination to him. Haughty eyes, that's pride. A lying tongue. Hands that shed innocent blood. A heart that devises wicked plans. Feet that make haste to run to evil. A false witness who breathes out lies. And one who sows discord among brothers. And these commandments, they may seem difficult, but they aren't reasonable. And God created with, uh, us to be in alignment with him. It, is, it may seem to be out of our human nature to not tell a little fib every now and then, you know, but it's in our godly nature to not have to deal with any of this stuff. Says so Our godly nature says, well, duh. I, you know, I was built to do this, to love others, to love myself, and to love God. I was not built to envy or covet or, or be selfish in my way. But our human nature is molded by the world. And, and it makes all these things a challenge because we've been shaped by the world around us. It says, you know, some of this is a gray area. It's okay in this context. Even with good intentions, sometimes we fall, right? I don't want to tell you something because it'll hurt your feelings. 
but I'm lying. Ephesians 2.10, this is from our friend the Apostle Paul. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Now Paul offers this counsel in Philippians 4, 6, 8. He says, don't be anxious about anything, but in every situation by prayer and petition, that's what we do, we pray and we ask, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God which transcends all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. In that, that's that peace we talk about during our prayer time. It says, finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about that. This is not a list of things not to do. There's a list of wonderful things to replace it with. It's just don't just stop being bad. Don't just stop making bad choices. Replace them with good things, with good intentions, with good thoughts. Now, if you're having trouble finding the areas that need attention, just ask. Ask God to help you identify them and bring them into his light. And these are risky prayers, aren't they? God, show me where I'm not doing so good of a job. I don't feel good. Philippians 3.15, it says, Therefore, let us, there, let us therefore, as many are perfect, have this attitude. Then he goes, says, goes on to say, If anything, you have a different attitude. God will reveal that also to you. God will reveal it. Remember, we have a God that convicts, not condemns. He says, I'm going to make this a little uncomfortable because you need to do a little better. Doesn't make you a bad person, okay? Just need you to do better. And God will help and guide you. James 1.5, if any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God, who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to you. God will not fault you for asking him to point out your flaws, okay? I know sometimes you don't want to bring that stuff and point out your own thing, but God says, do that, it's safe with me. Ask me, I'll help you identify that because I want to work through this with you. And he makes several promises in this regard. From Psalms, it says, I will teach you the way you should go. I will instruct you and advise you. With God as the light to your path, you will find the way. Proverbs, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Never rely on what you think you know. Remember the Lord in everything you do and he will show you the right way. Now that's a different translation from the one I normally read, but I love that. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Never rely on what you think you know. God knows. You don't have to guess. And this last promise, Ezekiel 36, 26, and it says, I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. Now remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. Did you catch that? A new spirit. A great way to start a new year. And haven't some of the things you prayed about this morning say, God, soften this heart. Soften so-and-so's heart. Soften my heart. He says, I'll promise that. I'll give you a new heart, a new a spirit I'll put within you. I will remove the heart of stone, and I'll give you a heart of flesh if you ask him. Third, the end goal is known and unchanging. There's no bait and switch. There's, there's no carrot on the end of the string being pulled away just as you think you're close to getting it right. Ephesians, Paul's letter to Ephesians 5, 1 through 33 says this. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children, and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. See, these are examples that Jesus had set by his life that started on Christmas. And scripture continues, says, But sexual immorality and all impurity or covetousness must not even be named among you as is proper among saints. Let there be no filthiness, nor foolish talk, nor crude joking, which are out of place. But instead, let there be thanksgiving. For you may be sure of this, that everyone who is sexually immoral or impure, who is covetous, that is an idolater, 
has no adherence to the kingdom of Christ and God. And Malachi says, I am the Lord, I do not change. And Hebrews says, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. God doesn't change. Isn't that comforting? To know that this thing you're supposed to do that, that seems so hard, maybe insurmountable at times, at least it's the same. This is comforting it is. Because the target doesn't move. The goal and the expectation are known and they're stable. So you may wonder, why do I have to change if God doesn't have to change? That's because we're out of alignment with him, not the other way around. God doesn't need to be more like us. We need to be more like him. Fourth, I told you this is a 100% possible. You just need to find your motivation. And there's some good motivations and there's some negative motivations. And we all know this, John 3.16, right? For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. Now that's a good motivator. I want an eternal life, and I want an eternal life with God, and I want that for every one of you. But in 17 it continues, and I don't know why we don't just do 16 and 17 together. It says, for God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Now Jesus is not a quitter. I guarantee you that he came and he accomplished this. He did not come to the world, but he came to save the world. That's exactly what he did. In John 1, 12, it's this promise. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. And this is the voluntary choice that we make to receive the gift of salvation, which is the greatest Christmas present ever. We talked about it last week. I said, you just have to choose to accept this gift. God's not going to force it on you. You can't take it from it. He just says here, and you just have to choose to take it. And again, with all choices, there's an alternative. Matthew, we have this warning. It says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, may enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. So do you remember the verse from last week? It says, If you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart, there are two parts to this love of God. You have faith and you've got action. We can say the words, but we've got to believe it in our heart. We can, we can say we believe, but we need to do something with this faith that we have. For example, in the Hebrews, for if we go on sinning deliberately after receiving the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins, but a fearful expectation of judgment. That's a pretty good motivator too, isn't it? Well, if you were to read Proverbs 8, 13, you see that they define fear. The Bible defines fear, which is the reverence, respect for God. They use the word fear a lot, the fear of God. But it means a, re a respect and a reverence. It says, the fear of God is to hate evil. Okay? That's a strong word. This definition suggests the kind of conduct proper love of God produces when we apply it, when we take action. If we hate something, don't we just take steps to avoid it? We stay away from it. We don't want it. It, it can make us physically ill because we hate it so much. We're so strong. Perhaps one of our major problems is that we don't hate sin. And we don't fear its penalty strong enough. And the fear of God, along with the other elements of motivation, strongly encourage us not to conform to the world's ways. This is vital to our continued growth in our faith, as the Apostle Paul writes in his letter to Romans. He says, don't let the world around you squeeze you into its mold. Again, that's a paraphrase. It says, don't, remember, it says, don't be transformed. Don't, don't conform to the world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, is how the NIV reads it. It says, don't let the world around you squeeze you into its mold. See, it's impossible to grow when you're like this. It's impossible to be changed to be Christ-like if we're not Christ-like, if we're world-like. 
And this is why we should be incited to change, you know? Incited, it almost seems maybe even violent or angry, and maybe it doesn't take that much, but I think you have to make a passionate decision. You have to have a passionate response and motivation to make a transformation from the you that's of this world to you that's, that is God's child and who he calls you to be, you know? I'm going to stop doing this because it's keeping me from the wonderful things that I want to have, the wonderful things that God wants me to have. I'm mad at that. I hate that. I hate that I do it. I hate that I think it because I am better than that. And God made me better. The Apostle Paul in his letter in Galatians writes this warning. He says, don't be deceived. God cannot be mocked. Right? We can't fool him. He sees everything. He knows everything. So when you go to him with your confession and say, God... I really messed up, or when you say, God, help me understand what I'm doing wrong, it's not news to him. It's not news to him. That's therapeutic for you to say that out loud. Okay, he already knows. But it says, God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. Whoever sows to please their flesh from the flesh will reap destruction. <clears throat> Whoever sows to please the spirit from the spirit will reap eternal life. Now there's your motivation, right? Sow in a way that pleases the spirit. And it's not just a negative, don't do what's right because you don't want an eternity in hell. Do what's right because it guarantees an eternity in God's presence. Not to mention all of the blessings along the way. <clears throat> and fifth, everyone else will be or should be doing the same thing. At least in the context of their own changes. In the book of Romans, we reminded, and we studied this a couple months ago, all of sin and fall short. Okay? My struggles may not be the same as yours, yours may not be the same as the person next to you, but we've all sinned and fall short. And it goes on to say, no one is righteous. Not a single person is righteous. But we're made righteous. And Jesus reminds us this in 1 John 3, 9. No one born of God makes a practice of sinning. For God's seed abides in him, and he cannot keep on sinning because he is born, born of God. Every one of us is created with the hope and plan to be better than we are. And that is 100% doable. And last, 1 Corinthians 10 and 13, we've heard this. No temptation has overtaken you except what is common to mankind. Whatever you're going through, someone else is going through it, has gone through it, will be going through it. And God is faithful. It says he will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, you also provided a way out so you can endure it. Keep that in mind. Look for that choice, that time to change. <clears throat> and consider an accountability partner. God wants to be that for you too. But maybe it's your spouse. Maybe it's a trusted friend, another guy, another girl, someone that you can trust to kind of hold you accountable and ask you those hard questions. How are you doing with this thing that you asked me to walk, ask you about? And don't forget that this congregation exists for this purpose, a purpose just like this. My role and the role of the elders, and I couldn't be more excited about our new elder team. We've got a fantastic team. I'm very excited uh, who's on board. We stand ready to support you in this walk. And six, this is last. The other side of this process is amazing. This isn't my words. These are God's promises. Romans 5, 1 through 21. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. You know, we talk about these broken relationships. We have peace. We have a good relationship with God through Jesus Christ. <clears throat> and it says, through him we have also obtained access by faith into his grace in which we stand. And we rejoice and the hope of the glory of God. More than that, rejoice in our sufferings. What? We know that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope, and hope does not put us to shame, because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. 
So these tough times you're going through, they're adding character. And that's a nice way of saying we get beat up a little bit, right? But it makes you who you are. It makes you learn. It makes you change. John 1 through 12 again. John 1 12 says, But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Uh, that is awesome. That is awesome. Guys, we are there. He's called you to be his child. Ephesians, for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. See, when we align our lives with God's will, we get to be part of an awesome team that God heads up. And this last promise that tells you how good it is when you start bumping yourself to the center of God's will. It says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. Again, a great way to start our new year and a new decade to start fresh. And he promises Isaiah, he says, see, I'm doing a new thing. Now it springs up. Do you not perceive it? A new thing. But I'd like to conclude this morning's message with just a few more passages from Scripture. And this is from Luke 6, 43 through 45. <clears throat> it says, For no good tree bears bad fruit, nor again does a bad tree bear good fruit. For each tree is known by its fruit. For figs are not gathered from thorn bushes, nor are grapes picked from a bramble bush. The good person out of the good treasure of his heart produces good, and the evil person out of his evil produces evil. For out of the abundance of the heart, his mouth speaks. So ask yourself this question. Is the fruit that you produce good? Is the truth of your heart as revealed by your words, by your action, is it in line with, with how you should be living? And the psalmist says these words when concerning the questions. He says, search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and, 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 and know my thoughts and see if there be any grievous way in me and lead me in the way of understanding. Now that's a risky prayer. God, point out my flaws. Convict me that I need to make a change. Let's make that prayer. Father God, as we look forward to this new year, this new decade, we thank you for all that you've done for us to this moment. And God, although this message may not be encouraging, there is encouragement in knowing that you call us to be more like you to follow in the footsteps of your son. And God, help us to find peace in knowing and accepting <clears throat> that we all fall short. And God, you want nothing more than a close relationship with us. As we learned last week, you, you stand at the door and you knock, just waiting for us to accept this wonderful gift that was given on Christmas Day that came to fulfillment on Easter with the resurrection and continues on this very day. God, place within us a need, a desire to identify the areas that could use improvement and to work on those. And God also put within us a peace and a confidence and a courage of knowing the good that we have done and continue to do. God, we need our faith put into action, not only to fulfill our obedient promise to you, but God so others can see what change is possible when we give our lives to you. Father, I thank you in advance for all the promises that you keep. You call us to be your children. You have great plans for us. You look forward to an eternity. You want us to be in heaven as badly as we want to be there with you. And we thank you for that hope. 
God, as always, I just want to pray for the empty places in the pews, the reminder that they serve, that this is a place welcoming, inviting to all those who seek you. Let us continue to welcome and invite, not only into this church, but into a relationship with you. Let us not miss one single opportunity this year to live a life of example, to have words of encouragement and support for others, and to have the courage to walk across a room and have a conversation or ask a question that will change a life. And God put people in our lives that will do that for us. We thank you so much for who you are. We give you all praise and glory. Amen.